This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation preserves, protects, and enhances the future of the Rose Bowl Stadium as a national historic landmark. America's Stadium has hosted two Olympic Games, with a third one coming in 2028, two World Cup Finals, five Super Bowls, and the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl since 1923. It is the epic center of college football and is the most iconic stadium in the world. To learn more about how you can support the Rose Bowl Stadium as it turns 100 years young, visit www.inspire, which spells inspire2022.org. Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello! Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. Should be a holiday today, the day after the Super Bowl, but of course it is not. But we're still here working. Want to talk about the USC Trojans. There was some big news that broke just before the Super Bowl in, you know, typical USC fashion. Some weird stuff happens uh, at weird times. We're going to get into that with the coach, Harvey Hyde. You can follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde. Or go to his website, harveyhyde.com, to see all of the coaches' takes on USC football and other various football topics. If you have any questions or comments from us, we love to hear from you, especially in the offseason. That's what drives this podcast. We keep doing it multiple shows every week, and a lot of that has to do with all the questions that you guys send in and ideas for different topics. So podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address, or if you'd rather call us and leave a voice message, you can do that, 424-254-9141. Try to keep it brief. You can also text us at that number, 424-254-9141. Send us a text. Leave us a voicemail. We'll play it or read it on the air and talk about whatever you want to talk about going through this offseason. And we do have the coach on the line right now. Get his thoughts on everything going on. What's up, coach? How are you? Well, I tell you, it's Holiday Monday. When you uh, have the Super Bowl on Sunday, I wonder how many people took the day off, or how many people are talking about the Super Bowl, or how many people are returning from Vegas, or whatever. Maybe some people aren't feeling well. I've always felt that after the Super Bowl, it should be a day off, as far as for everybody sort of to recover. But I'm recovered and I'm ready to go. So, where do you want to go? Uh, what do you want to start with, Ryan? Maybe just uh, with the Super Bowl yesterday, no Trojans in the Super Bowl. That's pretty rare that that happens. The, there was a few Trojans in the uh, championship round, in the uh, conference championship round, but uh, none of them made it through to the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, I thought it was a pretty interesting game. 
to see Kansas City kind of come on strong at the end. They've, they've proven that they can do that. Patrick Mahomes, probably not his best game, didn't play that well, even though he got the MVP. Uh, but he did play well in the fourth quarter, I think, when it mattered. Uh, but I, what what did you think about how uh, Kansas City was able to kind of overcome uh, a 49ers team that just had a relentless defense and uh, and run game that, that I think they kind of abandoned maybe a little early? Well, I'll tell you what I think on the game. First of all, I thought and I predicted on uh, shows I do and other shows I did, I, I thought the 49ers would win and it'd be an under because I thought it'd be an underscore if the 49ers are going to win. Uh, the Chiefs won, and it was an under, which was sort of uh, a different thing than what I expected. I thought the 49ers let it get away from them. I thought they had the game in pretty good control. And uh, I think that one uh, series there when the uh, 49ers needed to hang on to the football, and it was second and five, and uh, Shanahan decided to throw the ball two plays in a row, and it stopped the clock. When you're basically trying to run the game out or run the clock down, uh, I think was the biggest uh, mistake of the game because they were able to run the football then. You want to keep the momentum on your side. You don't want them to have the football, and it basically worked the entire game. They kept uh, Patrick Mahomes off the field an awful lot. He didn't get a lot of opportunities, put a lot of stress on him. And then they lost a little contain. And then uh, when uh, the Chiefs ran that hurry-up offense, I think it sort of uh, got the 49ers out of sync a bit. And uh, they ended up losing the football game because it gained the momentum towards the Chiefs. And the Chiefs had done that the last couple of games. They had confidence. You could see it turning, the crowd, the team. And for the 49ers started to doubt themselves. So uh, that's what I thought that happened. I enjoyed the game. I wasn't cheering for one team over the other. I enjoyed the game. I enjoyed the entire event. I mean, it is an event now. It is not a football game. It's a an event. I thought it was a great Sunday afternoon. I, I enjoyed it all, and I wasn't cheering for either team. Yeah, I wasn't really either. Uh, I'm a Steelers fan, so it was kind of nice to have the Chiefs win, so that it's another team that doesn't have six uh, Super Bowl titles, I guess. But you know, there was—I just want to see a good game. And uh, one of my friends described it as like Patrick Mahomes is sort of like the Michael Jordan, but you have like this really good team in the 49ers, and is—is is the one guy going to kind of go off? And he didn't play that well, but went off at the end. And uh, cool game though. So yeah, not really a whole lot of uh, USC impact, except you know some of the Super Bowl commercials and stuff you would see uh, USC players and everything, but not really anywhere else. So, uh, yeah, interesting, but we, now we roll on. It's a Monday and a couple hours before the Super Bowl went on, I get a text message and it's like, uh Oh, things are happening at USC. And we kind of speculated what could be going down as far as bringing in Todd Orlando. There was three assistant coaches that were gone from last year that were announced early with Clancy Pendergast and, uh, John Baxter. So they were gone and then Joe DeForest, who was coaching outside linebackers, even though USC didn't really have any outside linebackers, he left and was going to North Carolina State to coach safeties there. If he might have been told he wasn't coming back, we don't know what was going on exactly. But um, three coaches were gone. Three coaches were added. John David Baker, the inside receivers coach and tight ends coach, he was brought in. And then they uh, hired two former Texas assistants, one that was announced in Todd Orlando, and then uh, Craig Nair, who uh, wasn't announced, he hasn't been announced yet, but we've been able to confirm 
he's going to be brought in and coach uh, safeties. He's also coached special teams in his past. So that kind of filled up the coaching roster, even though Craig hasn't been fully announced yet, which USC just takes a long time to do all this kind of stuff. But the reports were, and we were able to confirm that he was going to be hired. Then he changed his Twitter account and uh, was tweeting fight on stuff and everything. So he's definitely on board. They just, whatever, background checks that hasn't been announced. We know USC takes forever on all that kind of stuff. But then, like I said, a couple hours before the Super Bowl, I get a text. Stuff's going down. Then, you know, within minutes, Bruce Feldman tweets the stuff that was going down. So uh, Johnny Nansen, who's been around the longest, um, as far as, you know, staff members, he was with Steve Sarkeesian, and he was the last, like, Sark uh, assistant coach that's still there. Uh, he's out. Uh, Chad Kay, the defensive uh, uh, line coach, and then Greg Burns, the defensive backs coach. Those guys have only been in the program for one year. They're both not going to be returning. Um, I think the LA Times confirmed Bruce's report. We were able to confirm the report. So three Defensive assistants are now gone, and it looks like Todd Orlando will have three spots to fill, or at least two spots to fill. They might, you know, he could coach linebackers. Maybe you see um, someone else come in and coach corners. Uh, they need a defensive line coach. Uh, they also still need a special teams coach. So curious to see what your thoughts are, uh, Coach Hyde, about the uh, moves over the weekend for USC. Well, I tell you, I have a lot of thoughts on this. And uh, first of all, uh, I'll remind everybody who's a regular listener, we talked about this last week, and I thought one of the keys with Johnny Nason, if he was going to go back to special teams, obviously he didn't want to go back there, so he was one that was dismissed. Uh, I think also the timing of the announcement is ridiculous. Two days before National Letter of Intent, or three days, here these coaches have been recruiting players, not that they're going to, you know, who are they going to get? I'm not sure. But why would you change or make an announcement two days or three days before the national letter of intent for more controversy in your your program? If someone was on the bubble, that's the same old thing. And the timing of the announcement right before Super Bowl kickoff is to try to soften the blow of what's going on and not make front page uh uh, pages today and the sports pages because uh, the Super Bowl is going to get all those headlines. So the Times has a little article. It's no big deal. They made another change. So I look at all this. Now, what I look at also on the staff is the Polynesian coaches. They have a lot of Polynesian players on this football team. Johnny Nansen's gone. Coach, K, or Coach D is gone or whatever you guys call him, Coach K or Coach D. I can't pronounce his Chad name. Chad K, so. yeah. Just call, you can call him Chad K, Coach K, whatever. Yeah, that's fine. Coach K, and and so look at this now. Look at this now situation. Now, I don't know how many Polynesian coaches they have in Texas or what the population in the, of Texas is or how many of these coaches have worked with a lot of Polynesian players on the defensive side of the football, but there's a lot of Polynesian players on the defensive side of the football. So uh, I think that is something that's going to have to be considered. I really believe that. And uh, to continue the recruiting that's been so successful for uh, USC in that area, I think, uh, I hope, continues. So there's a lot to think about what they've just done at USC. 
So, uh, you know, those are my thoughts there currently right now. I think that Todd Orlando has a lot of uh, say. I think on the past uh, coaches that were there, the coaches that had a lot of say were John Baxter, Pennegrass, and probably Johnny Mason. I think that that's who Clay Hell listened to the most, and they're all gone. So I think there's been a lot of major changes going on here, and there's a lot to be thought of on who comes in and who's in control of these hires. Because you've got the current players that are there. You've got the recruiting that's going on. You've got the recruiting now of possibly committed players who have changed. You might have players now, more players wanting to go into the portal as far as transferring. And then, of course, you've got on the offensive side of the football, a lot of questions that I've been talking about all the time as far as the philosophy of the offensive side of the football. And I think one thing that Todd's got to be considered, I don't care who he has on the defensive side coaching people, how does he get his team to play and get ready to play and fly around, or fly around like he says when he doesn't have a chance to practice against the teams he's going to play against that do that? So uh, these are my uh, answers, and again, I'm waiting to see exactly what happens. And of course, when you ask me this question, as a former football coach, these are things that would be in my mind. Those are, I think, those are great points, Coach. I think, as far as recruiting goes, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the Johnny Nansen stuff has sort of died off. Um, you know, for the fact that he wasn't really, you know, they lost two five-star linebackers in the region to Oregon. Um, they just haven't been. I think he was doing a pretty good job at first, and then it sort of fell off some. And the fact that USC has its worst recruiting class ever, I don't think you can. I, I think you need to shake things up as far as recruiting go. Now, getting Pendergast out of there, who wasn't a big recruiter, uh, Baxter. I think like that stuff like that did did help. But um, I think you need more relentless recruiters uh, on staff. And there was some good stuff there from Johnny Nansen at first, but it just hasn't been great lately uh, from what I've seen on the recruiting front. But really, uh, the the most interesting point um, that you brought, you had some interesting points there. But to me, who did Clay Helton trust the most on his staff? Who were his confidant, the guys he would be, you know, they could be his confidants. Who were the people he would lean on the most? You would say John Baxter, Clancy Pendergast, and Johnny Nansen, uh, who'd been around, like I said, since they were both assistants for Steve Sarkeesian. Um, I think that's a great point for a head coach that, you know, it's, this is his, what, going into his fifth full season or whatever. Um, those are guys he trusted and those are guys he leaned on and they're all gone. And I don't know if that changes how Clay Helton, uh, adjusts to, you know, uh, anything that goes wrong during the season, any kind of road bumps, uh, speed bumps, any kind of. Uh, you know, for preparation before the season, going into spring football, guys that you would rely on are no longer there. So I'm I'm curious to see how that dynamic changes, Coach, with uh, those three guys gone. Well, yeah, you have to wait and see exactly what happens. I think he's put the defense at the hands of Todd Orlando. That's his that's his thing. He's turned it over to him, and I think what he's uh, what Todd has said is, I need my guys to teach it. If you want it, I want my guys to teach it. Guys I know that know it. Guys I know that are loyal to me, not loyal to somebody else. And, of course, I hope, he said, and loyal to you as far as a head football coach. And that's where Todd has to lie, too, as far as uh, the loyalty to Coach Clay Helton. But 
Uh, I said this last week and before. I said that it's very important that a guy doesn't waste time coaching the coaches, and a guy didn't want a guy that wanted his job on his side of the football. I think Johnny Nansen wanted that. And I think that uh, since he didn't get that, he got his feelings hurt. He didn't want to go back and coach the special teams, like I said last week. So he says, it's time for me to get out of here. So I think he more or less put himself in the position where he wouldn't be retained. So that's where we are, and now we move forward and see what's next. It's true. So Todd Orlando looks like you said, full authority over the defense. Um, We know with Graham Harrell, he's handed, you know, that's something that Clay Helton held dearly to, and they were all, you know, everyone was involved in the offense. Now it's all Graham Harrell. So you got the defense handed away, the the offense handed away. We'll see what happens with special teams. But it's even, to me, that's even more like this pushes uh, Clay Helton even to more of a CEO type of role. Like what is he going to be running when you have an offense that's, you know, full autonomy and defense full autonomy for these assistant coaches? I don't know what, what, what I know that he's about to get some uh, Polynesian coaches because uh, I think it's really important uh, to uh, have a Polynesian coach and, uh, and uh, not only for coaching, but for recruiting and, and all of the above. I just think it's important to have everything on your staff today. I mean, uh, you got to be well-rounded. You've got to be able to be able to approach recruiting in every way and coach every single kid. And kids have got to be comfortable coming in your office and talking about problems you've had yourself or know how to solve them, whatever they might be. So uh, I think that's something that has to be done. Who is he going to hire? I don't know. Uh, who he can, who can he get to come there? Uh, you know, this guy a good. Uh, Polynesian coaches out there, but uh, are they going to make that move? Are they going to come? I don't know. So we'll see what happens. I'm real interested to see how they approach this. I really am. Yeah, I am too. It's going to be very different. Uh, Tarion wrote in. He said, hey, Ryan, I've got a question for you and the coach. Will it be harder for Todd Orlando uh, to develop a hard-nosed, tough defense when they must practice against USC's air raid offense versus a tough run oriented offense. Absolutely. I've been saying that over the last two years, exactly when that all came about, when he hired him, uh, as far as what his philosophy is and, and where you go. Now I'm not saying I'm not denying that it's a difficult offense to stop uh, a lot, but, uh, it doesn't help your defense whatsoever. As far as not having the type of running game that you're going to face and the type of teams you've got to beat you're going to start to see more teams go back to the running game. You're going to see teams uh, emphasize the run more than what they've been passing the football. I really believe that. And I think times uh, go around, things change. I think people understand how important the running game is, and uh, it's very difficult to develop defensive side of the football when you really truly don't see the look of an athletic quarterback or you don't see the power, you don't see the series, you don't see the keeps, you don't see the quarterback draws, you don't see all the things that are necessary, the reads, uh, all the things. Uh, so, you know, it's a difficult thing to do. A scout team can't do that the way you're going to see a fast-moving, quick, up-speed type of team that does that. So I think it really does hurt the defensive side of the football a lot, really does hurt it a lot. Yeah. We have a uh, voicemail question for you, Coach, about the uh, fire assistant coaches. Let me play it for you. 
Hey, Ryan. Um, quick question here. Now that essentially Bond fired Johnny Nathan, Coach Burns, and Coach Hayes, who the latter two I didn't think did too bad last year, but nonetheless, is this Bond's way of just essentially driving Helton out if you can't fire him, that maybe he'll just drive him to quit? Um, how do you doubt Jimmy Sexton would let him do that? But, I mean, I, I mean, it's completely obvious that Todd Orlando was hired by Mike Bond. The fact that he, from my understanding, that Johnny Nathan was told he could be the special teams coach and now he's gone, tells me that Mike Bond is really our coach. I don't know, just wanted to you know your thoughts, Frank Allen Irvine, class of 2004. Bye on, guys. Take care. Real quick, Coach, uh, for Frank and Irvine. It's Mike Bone. It's not Bond. So I know it, look, it looks weird, but his his name is Mike Bone, and it's Johnny Nansen uh, is is the assistant coach's name. So um, just just to get you going with Frank before you go, Coach. All right, help me help me out a little bit on that. I couldn't really hear it that clearly. Okay, so he was talking about Mike Bone essentially being USC's coach because it looks like he's the one pulling. Uh, the strings on this, my understanding for Frank and everybody else out there is that there was going to be more of a collaborative effort that the athletic department uh, will, you know, would be involved, but the decision has to come down to Clay Helton because he's the one, you know, he's the head coach. He's the one that's hiring these guys and he has to work with them every day. Now, I don't know how this would have all played out, but a guy like Todd Orlando is not a typical Clay Hilton kind of hire. There's, it's really from outside the program. Uh, was was that some of the influence of a Mike Bone in the athletic department, as opposed to someone that might be more familiar or, uh, you know, uh, promoting from within? Getting rid of those three assistant coaches seems more like, hey, that's something that we want for this outside coach that we've brought in. So it sounds like there's influence there. For my opinion, there's influence there from the athletic department, but Clay Helton would get the final say. Um, but you know, we all know Clay Helton's kind of an agreeable guy. If like Lynn Swan told him, asked him to do something, he would most likely do it. If Mike Bowen was asking him to look outside the the comfort zone, I think that's something that he would do. But that that's my take on it. Get yours, Coach. Well, I think that Clay Helton's smart enough to understand that. Um... I'm on the bubble, and the more I agree with Mike Bone, the better chance I might have of being around a while. And if the defense is uh, not successful, it's not all on me. Someone else uh, helped me make these decisions. And, again, if the defense is successful, then, of course, uh, uh, I'm happy with it because that means it helps save my job. Maybe we won more games. So I think uh, it's very political, and I think he does listen to Mike Bone. And I think Mike Bone does have a lot to say in it. And I think that uh, getting rid of the coaches he got rid of is very has been very difficult for him because he's not that type of person, and he's been very loyal to those people. But I think that his back is up against the wall. He knows exactly where he is. This is the last hurrah this year. Uh, the Holiday Bowl will live with him the entire off season, and then again, you have to start by opening up with Alabama. That's not happy, and I think that a lot of this off season, the things that go on right around here, he needs to listen to people so he can keep their support. 
because he doesn't want to have a, you know, first game change or second game change there at USC. So I think it's a very uneasy type of situation as far as USC right now. I, I, I would say it's very touchy, and I'm not quite sure just how much uh, Clay has to say. I'm sure he approves it, but I think he's getting strong suggestions. Yeah, I would say that too, Coach. And it's one of those things where you look at um, the situation that Clay Helton's in. He hasn't always acted like, I'm on the hot seat, I'm going to make wholesale changes. It was sort of like, yeah, I guess I'll make some changes, but not necessarily going to go full bore. Like This seems like more like, okay, you revamped the offense last year. Now you're revamping the defense. And if you look at the people around Clay Helton, uh, you know, Pat Hayden was the guy, the athletic director that was there to hire him and and make him the full-time uh, permanent head coach. You know, he's no longer there. Then Lynn Swan was around and gave him an extension. And, and Lynn Swan's no longer there. Steve Lopes and uh, Ron Orr and guys like that in the athletic department. Um, Diana Heinel, like the top three people outside of the athletic director, they're all gone from the athletic department. And when Clay Hilton took over, like full-time in 2016, his staff was John Baxter, he's gone. Ronnie Bradford, he's gone. Neil Calloway, he's gone. Tyson Helton, he's gone. T. Martin, he's gone. Johnny Nansen, he's gone. Clancy Pendergast, he's gone. Tommy Robinson, he's gone. Kenichi Daisy, he's gone. His, his strength and conditioning coach, Ivan Lewis, he's gone. Everyone that was around Clay Hilton from the above him and below him are all gone, which is it, it's pretty amazing. To see. And, and Clay's still back. But I agree with you. That's I think Clay Helton sees that, you know, it maybe it t- it's taken longer than it should. It's like, okay, whatever I need to do to make this better and stick around, I'm, go- I'm willing to do because you can't change anything else. You've changed everyone that's worked above him and you've changed everyone that worked below him multiple times. Right. He's trying to save his job and uh, it's always difficult to get rid of people. I've had to do it, but it's difficult. And some people can do it a lot easier than other people even knowing he needs to make those changes. And uh, agree, I think that some night, sometimes he's been naive on understanding the situation of how important it is to win and not just play well and all of the above and have the players say he's a great job. You know, people don't care about that. People care about results. People care about exactly the t- program itself, the tradition of the program, the ranking of recruiting classes, Sure, they care about how many players are being graduated, but uh, it's all determined on win and losses, okay? And budgets. How is our budget? Are we making money or losing money? And all these things are what uh, are determined on if a head football coach should be retained. And I think right now, currently, under the situation, there's a lot that needs to happen this next coming year to save everything. Yeah. So uh, I really think that uh, this is a crucial year. I thought it was a crucial year this year. But obviously they felt as though they can wait another year. So we'll see what happens. We will see. Uh, Jeff Torres has a really simple question. I don't know. It's a simple. It's simply worded. I don't know if it's simple to answer. Uh, What needs to happen for better run blocking this season? What do you think, Coach? Well, first of all, you got to learn to run the football. And right now, I'm not quite sure they want to run the football or need to, or even know how to run the football. Uh, not to be too critical, I'm not challenging their football knowledge, but I'm I'm challenging 
uh, a balance of understanding what it takes to win and not be one-dimensional. Right now, uh, they are identified as a passing football team, and uh, they 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 don't. When you say learn how to run the football, you got to run the football. You got to be in formations to run the football. You've got to utilize your tight end uh, like you saw teams utilize them. They were in the Super Bowl, another great championship teams. Uh, they currently aren't doing that. So we'll see what happens there, and we'll see if they can convince. Yeri's son to come over and see what they're going to tell him to do. But well, who's he going to replace? London? I don't know where he's. I don't mean I don't know if I'd want to replace London. So they've either got to go to a tight type of formation or play him as a blocker. But he's not coming for that. So it's interesting to see what happens there. Also, so you know, unless you use a tight end as in the running game and you can block somebody and mismatch people like people do, uh, you know, you're one-dimensional. So how do you learn to run the football? Or how do you run the football when you don't know how to run the football or it's not a part of your offense? I mean, uh, you know, I look at the offense, and if you're a passing offense, and I don't know about everything, but I know that if I'm passing the football a lot, I want to run draws. I want to win some screens, several different type of screens. I want to be able to, you know, have a quarterback that sometimes scrambles or run, runs occasionally. And uh, I don't really see any of that. They're sort of like I told you, told you all the time, they're statues back there, and people know where they are. And uh, I don't think that uh, that's the way that you win championships. That's all I'm saying. You don't win championships being vanilla. Yeah, that's true, too. We haven't seen vanilla champions at all. It's been all this exciting stuff. LSU, the most exciting offense you've ever seen. That's what's winning nowadays. Uh, let's go to a voicemail from our buddy Curtis. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Um, can we, uh, with our offense, everybody's been talking about defense and defensive coordinator. With our offense, can we bring in an assistant that, uh, can set up the eye formation and bigger formations. I don't know if our coach has that kind of stuff in his repertoire. And can we get some fly sweeps for that extremely fast running back? Christian, you got the fastest running back in college football. Just imagine that. Curtis from Moreno Valley. What do you think, Coach? Do, uh, can they bring an assistant that can run the I formation and some fly sweeps for uh, Keaton Kristen? What do you think? No, they can't do it, but it's not in his uh, repertoire. It's not yeah. in his playbook. His playbook is a completely different philosophy, and uh, he wouldn't want to teach that or use that. And I agree with you as far as the uh, running back situation. You do have a burner back there that, that could play and be utilized in the running game, but no, that's not going to happen. They're going to continue to spread the field and uh, have tendencies and all of the above. And, and I'm sorry to be so critical on it, but I'm just telling you, that's the way it is. I talk to head coaches everywhere. I talk to coaches always. This offense is one that helps make the difference up. If it's a unique type of offense at a university, that needs to balance out because they don't have the same great athletes that other schools have that they have to play. So they try to show something different so they can balance it out. 
And uh, if they're fortunate enough, like watching the Satis turn it around regularly, uh, doing a lot of that, they're sticking with it now with the Hawaii coach up there. And Mike Leach went down to Mississippi State to think they can change something down there. They'll play better defense uh, with the defensive coordinator they got, but can they win it all? I don't think so. They'll never win it all in the Southeastern Conference or come close to what Dan Mullins did there before he went to Florida. So, you know, I just don't think uh, this offense is what USC wants. I don't think it's what people believe in, the tradition of the past players, and the current players uh, don't know the past players because the past players really don't have much contact at all with the current players. And I'm not quite sure how much the staff knows or could recognize past All-Americans that can walk on the field because how many of the coaches have even played or know Southern California tradition or Southern California players? I mean, uh, yeah, they probably know Ron Yeri when he walks on the field or Marcus Allen when they walk on the field, but other great players can walk on the field that they, Brandon Hancock, you think a lot of them would recognize him or Chris Hale or Daryl Rideau or some of these great players that played there? No. So, you know, you, you don't really have the great tradition that's around there where these players can emphasize to these players what USC football is all about and how it came about and who we are and how we love beating people and what the pride we had in our program and how we never wanted to let our team down. And it wasn't uh, me. It was team and uh, all of the above. I, I don't see that there anymore. Yeah. No, I know what you're saying, coach. Um, well, we got a few more. Let's take a quick break and we'll come right back and uh, finish up all the questions. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast. Got a few more questions. Uh, I've got yeah, like four, four more or so. So we got some, some good stuff here. Let's see. We have one from Don. He says, Texas goes seven and five. And they clean house. USC goes five and seven, and SC reminds everyone that the head coach is a nice guy, save the program, and then goes eight and five with some embarrassing losses. And then AD Pat Hayden says, You're the best. I guess Texas is on hard times, and SC feels stability, even a losing one, is the best one way to go. Helton will coach out his contract with the possibility of an extension after a nine and three final contract year. Do you think Helton will be replaced before his contract runs out? This is Don, and his contract is supposed to go through 2023. Well, I, I can't predict that. I know it's all on win and losses. Uh, I'd like to see him uh, 
uh, go all the way through and get an extension. That means he's if somebody cares and knows what they're talking about, that means they ought to be winning pretty good. But unless they're winning pretty good, he won't know. I think that's the way I'd answer that question. Yeah, if he's winning 10 games, 11 games a year, I think that can be justifiable. But he's got to win the Pac-12. He's got to go to the Rose Bowl. He's got to go to a couple of semifinal championship games. And can that happen by 23? I don't know. So I think that whether he's around or not is determined on exactly what happens with uh, the season and the record. If he's seven and five, no. If he's ten and two, probably. If he's better than that, more likely. If he drops back down, no. So unless the philosophy at USC has changed, and I don't know if it's changed, but unless if USC is what USC is supposed to be and who it's been in the past, and if they want to be that again, then determine it yourself. It's the number of wins that he has, whether he finishes his contract or not. Stop the suffering, okay? Why do you allow somebody to suffer? Why do you allow your alumni to suffer? Why do you allow your community, your football players, to go out of state and go everywhere else but USC? Why? So I'll, you know, let you answer your own question there. No, I and I, yeah, I agree with you, Coach. Uh, I would say it's very unlikely that Clay Helton uh, finishes out his contract. I've been wrong every time predicting if or when Clay Helton would be fired, but my, you know, to to last. Uh, whatever, three more seasons or whatever it be, it just seems unlikely. I agree with you on this one, Coach. I mean, if it's like a 10-2 season, I still don't know if it's 100% that he would be coming back. I think it's going to be more results where you got to win the Pac-12, maybe make a playoff game, and then just show everyone, hey, this is – and be competitive against the Notre, the Alabamas of the world, Notre Dames of the world. And then, yeah, you know, I think you got a shot. But I don't think like 9-3 and three with like a couple blowout losses is going to be enough. But like I said, I've been wrong. But Don wants to know. I mean, he Don's not convinced that Clay Helton will ever be fired. Um, he's just very uh, he's very upset. But I think his concern. He, he sent another email about how it impacts recruiting. He said, if you just get great coordinators, maybe that will help recruiting. But does a five star player want to go play for Clay Helton or a guy like Nick Saban or Dabo Sweeney, Coach O, etc.? SC unless SC's in the conversation for a playoff spot, the player's not going to choose playing for Clay Helton. So he said, let's hope for great coordinators and fight on from Don. And just so everyone knows, I have, um, uh, I'm doing a recruiting deep dive where I've talked to a bunch of recruiting experts on the West coast. And I've done two of the f- six episodes so far to installments. There's different, uh, they're not episodes. They're installments of this series talking about what has gone wrong for USC recruiting. The first one was just kind of in general, and then the second one, you know, what's been, why have they've had the two worst classes in history the last two years? And the one I put up this morning on Monday morning is about how USC struck out on, there was five local five-star, I'm sorry, three local five-star quarterbacks and USC didn't get any of them. And so I talked to uh, Blair Angulo and Greg Biggins and Brandon Huffman about that and some of the circumstances that had to happen for USC to go over three on a class that they wanted to bring in a quarterback not get any of the local blue chip guys uh, that were you know right in USC's backyard. So I we're doing a lot of recruiting kind of coverage as far as that goes, like what's been going wrong. But kind of get your thoughts on that, coach, as far as you know, why would a local five star talent want to play for Clay Helton uh, as opposed to some of those other guys? Well, it's not just a quarterback; it's a, it's every position uh, as far as right now. Currently, looking elsewhere, 
because players, things have changed with players. Players are looking to play on Sunday. Players are looking to be uh, developed. Players are looking to uh, practice against great players. And players with social media and all these camps and clubs and things that are going on become very cliquish and know each other. And they say, well, if you go there, I'm going there too, and we'll all go there, and we'll win a national championship together and so on. And people used to say that at USC. Let's go pay, play for Pete Carroll, so-and-so's going there, and you always start off with one quarterback or one great guy they get two, and they start recruiting for you. Then there's a big announcement, and they all go to the same place. Brad Buddy tells me that story. And all the others tell me that story and how they all play in these All-American games, and all of a sudden – they all decided that they're all going to the same school. Well, that's not happening because they're not getting the key people to do that. And uh, and that's not going to happen until you get those key people. You Just like anything else in fundraising or anything else, if you get somebody to put down the first money so that when people say, well, who else is giving? Oh, we already got a half a million dollars from this guy. Oh, really? I'll be damned then all of a sudden they become a little bit interested. But if you can't say that, uh, people don't become interested in donating or going to that school. It's like that in football. And uh, the head man, the head man's what makes the difference. Coordinators, they, people don't go to coordinators. So as a head football coach, that's who you play for. You know, that's who you have your direct contact and respect for. It's the head football coach. When he comes on your campus, it's your whole campus. Get excited. When Dabble Sweeney walks on a campus, the whole campus is excited. The principal comes running out of the office, wants to have a, uh, a, a what do you call it, when they all get all the student body out here, put him in the arena, we're going to have a, a meeting, have him speak to us. Uh, you know, you got to have that type of leverage. So the kids say, guess who came on campus today to talk to so-and-so? Dabble Sweeney or Nick Saban. Well, you're not getting that type of a feeling uh, when the head football coach at USC walks on the campus. So, you know, it's a lot of things, guys. It's not just one thing. It's the impression that you get from an individual, a university, the schedule, winning, losing, the whole package, development, yeah. NFL. It's the whole thing, Ryan. No, I agree with you. I remember a couple of years ago being at a high school recruit, like a high school football game, and a game Clay Helton was at and a game uh, uh, Jim Harbaugh was at. <laughs> And Jim Harbaugh was like this celebrity. Like people were coming. It was just, it was very different feel. And I know Clay Helton's a local coach. It was a local game. So you you probably see him more, but it definitely was a different feel. Um, we got Ross, class of 1980. He said, uh, Ryan and team, on your podcast with Coach Hyde, you referred to the podcast as, quote, our little show a couple of times. Please know that every aspect of your production, be it a website, podcast, or videos, are far from little. They allow us to wade through these challenging times with dignity and hope. Many an hour is being spent gratefully for the very big show that you and your team bring us. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you for that, Ross. That's nice. And he says quickly. I wrote several weeks back, citing one of my excuse me, one of my father's mandates for being a gentle gentleman. He's an alum, was a tough guy, a professional boxer who also served in two branches of the military, combat surgeon and rose to become chief of staff of Cedars. Wow, that's impressive. Uh, the mandate is, quote, a man should never rely on a wishbone when circumstances dictate the use of a backbone. That's pretty good. On air, it seems as if the reason for the mandate wasn't clear as I neglected to reference the decision 
of Mike Bone to keep Clay Helton as a basis for the correlation. Given the latest recruiting news, maybe it's not too late. Fight on, Ross, class of 1980. Well, I think it's important you have the respect uh, as a football coach. Uh, I know that uh, when I walked on the field, everybody ran a little bit faster and uh, made sure their shoes were tied up tight and their socks were up. And when I walked by a drill to watch it, I made sure the coaches or the coaches made sure that they were coaching at their best and they'd look around the field once in a while to wonder where I was. And I think that that's the way it is with Nick Saban and other coaches being on top of it and actually knowing you know the game of football and you know what you want to be taught. And if they weren't teaching, I'm going to step right in and say, now, wait a minute, this way it is. And, and, you know, assistant coaches don't like that. That's why they make an extra effort to lift to listen to what you're talking about and how you recruited. It was the same thing in my recruiting meetings. I would go in in a recruiting meeting. We'd all be in the room and I'd say, Hey Dave, how are we doing at that kid at Cap Valley? Which coach? Uh, the offensive tackle. Well, I think we're doing okay. I, when's the last time you talked to him? Oh, uh, uh, two days ago. Really? Well, I talked to him last night and he says he hadn't heard from me in over a week. And the whole staff hears that. Okay. They say the old man, he, he likes recruiting. And don't lie to the old man, but the old man knows something and and he's working at it. So everybody hears that. And it's the same thing as teaching football on the field. It's taught right. It's taught with enthusiasm. Everybody's paying attention. And it always helps when you have better players than when you're trying to coach somebody that can't play. Yeah. So recruiting is the name of the game, and I'm not quite sure. I don't know how – Coach Clay Helton allowed a defensive coordinator to not to be a recruiter. I mean, I've said that all along. Nothing against Clancy Pendergrass. He's probably a great coach. I don't even know him, okay? I've never spoken to him one time. But not to be a recruiter? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Every coach is a recruiter. Every coach is a recruiter. And I mean that. Yeah, you got to have that. No, that definitely wasn't the case. Uh, so we'll see what kind of – how relentless this recruiting staff – is I do love uh, Ross. That your dad sounds awesome. Thanks again for the kind words about uh, the website and the podcast and all that stuff. Um, you know, we look at it as our little show, but I know we, we touch a lot of people, so we do appreciate that. All the people that write in, call in, and you know, people I run into. I ran a, a 10K Super Bowl 10K Redondo Beach, and afterwards, someone said they recognized me, and I was like, "Oh, hi!" And um, I'm like, well, do you follow USC? And she's like, yes. And she's like, oh, I listen to podcasts, watch the videos. I'm like, well, thanks very much. So, I mean, stuff like that happens a lot. So we do appreciate that. But the the mandate, a man should never rely on a wishbone when circumstances dic- dictate the use of a backbone is great. And I, So I, I think when we read it before, we didn't realize what he was talking to about Mike Bone keeping Clay Helton. I do think there's some sort of wishbone aspect to it, uh, Ross, where they're hoping that Clay Helton is the guy. He's someone that's already under contract. They signed him to a longer contract than what the results would uh, indicate he should have. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's a bigger contract than they would like, but they would like him to work out if that's the thing. But uh, the result or what you're seeing on the field look, you know, leading towards, yes, this is the guy that's going to uh, bring USC football back and get them to a playoff game. You know, we haven't seen that. So I think there is some kind of wishbone aspect to it. Uh, I think the backbone part is 
Well, so you're be insinuating that they don't have the backbone to get rid of him. I think it's more of a decision of, I, I think they wanted to have backbone as far as making the right decision, but it there was a lot of other factors at play, and they they lean towards the best thing to be to get everything else in the athletic department in order will be to keep Clay Helton. Um, so I don't know. I think there's a wishbone aspect to it, but I wouldn't say the reason they didn't fire him, in my opinion, is because they didn't have a backbone. I don't think they made the right decision. I think they should have let Clay Helton go, but I think it was more of there's so many other weird things going on in the athletic department that it wasn't going to be a great time to get rid of him. And the argument would be it's going to make it worse if you do keep him. So I get that, and I, I would agree with you, but I think it's – I don't know if it would really be a backbone thing why they didn't get rid of him. I don't know what you think, Coach. Well, I just think stupidity on their part in times uh, on some of the decisions they make at such a great university because you think these coaches coming in uh, aren't getting multi-year contracts. Now, if they do make a change, not only do they have to pay Clay Helton off, if the new offensive or new head coach doesn't want any of these guys, they got to pay them off too. So... You know, sometimes it's better to eat your losses, do what you have to do, start fresh, get it done, replace the knee or the hip, quit rehabbing it, something needs to be done, and start over. Yeah. And when you try to patch a tire, sometimes it you know, still isn't whole there, okay? So uh, that's just my feeling. Yeah. Because now they just... Go deeper. They're going, you know, they give multi-year contract now and a pay raise to Graham Harrell. They bring in Todd Orlando. He didn't come on a one-year contract. He probably got a two- or three-year contract and all the other guys coming. So now they have to – they're in a deeper. They're in deeper than they were before. So, you know, I just – I don't want – I'm sorry I use the term stupid, but – No, that's – there have been some really stupid decisions made by the athletic department over the last decade, and I think that's why USC's in a mess – now, um, my understanding is though that it's there's a lot a lot of assistant coaching stuff ends up being short term things. There's there's mitigated risk with assistants more than like a head coach, but you know a big one like Graham Harrell getting an extension that's something that you would have to you know come into uh, you know take it into account. And we don't know the details of Todd Orlando's deal or the other guys. Um, we have one last voicemail, and then we'll have one quick uh, text message to read. Here you go. Hello, Ryan. This is uh, Lee from the Bay Area. I was just curious, um, um, would you guys ever in the future, considering um, having Todd McNair on, maybe the tunnel vision? Um, all right. Thank you. Go Trojans. Thanks for that. Uh, so Todd McNair, you know, former uh, USC assistant coach that was always, you know, was involved in the the Reggie Bush scandal stuff. So he's actually with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think uh, Gerard, st- I I. I get in touch with him every once in a while. I think we're just some social media stuff. He, uh, I think Gerard um, contacts with, with him a little bit more. I don't know what the point would be to have him on unless it was something like when, if Reggie Bush was welcomed back in the university or something happened on that front. Um, we've kind of kept, you know, some back channels open with him, but I'm not sure Todd McNair on like a tunnel vision show would make a, a ton of sense, but I don't know. I mean, it's something we could think about. Well, you know, just uh, to let our listeners know, uh, uh, two weeks ago I had Brad Buddy on one of my other shows, and 
this past week, I had Mike Garrett on one of my shows. And I went back to the past and talked to these guys about the past and the tradition at USC, how they decided to go to USC, why they went to USC, and what football meant to them at USC. And if you want to listen to those shows, you can go to my website, harveyhyde.com, harveyhyde.com, and you can hear these guys talk about the thrills of playing football at USC. And that's all I wanted to say. Yeah, I was curious about that because I saw you tweet that out, uh, especially the Mike Garrett uh, interview. Any kind of nuggets? You know, we'll definitely people go to harveyhyde.com and they can check it out. But anything stand out from uh, either one of those two interviews? Absolutely amazing what these guys think of the university and their experiences and the pride that they had as a player at USC. Absolutely amazing how they went there. UCLA told Mike Garrett he was too small. They wanted him to go to junior college. Yet he went to USC and became the the number one guy tailback was Don Coriel had come in and they said, we want you to be our tailback. And he didn't want to let USC down because of that. And he worked harder because he was supposed to be too small. And how hard he worked and how much it meant for him to to be a Trojan and not let his teammates down or leave John, let, let uh, John McKay down. It's it absolutely Stories are unbelievable. And Brad Buddy talking about, I asked Brad Buddy, who's the toughest player you ever played against? And he said, there's a kid at Oregon State named Marshall. Went up there and we played Oregon State and he kicked my butt. I was a sophomore. We came back to practice. Marv Goog came over to me at practice, looked at me in the face. He says, you have let down, you've embarrassed this football tradition at USC, Brad Buddy. He says, you are an embarrassment to be out here in the practice field. He says, those words to me told me I would never, ever again let down USC. I worked hard. I never again allowed that to happen. He says, the way they used to treat us and the pride there was in the football program at USC was unbelievable. And uh, these are the type of stories you get, you know, how they decided to go there, why they went there. I think another great story was I asked Mike Garrett, I said, Mike, when you left USC and you went to Kansas City, how much of a difference was there as far as the adjustment from college football to the NFL? Was this a big adjustment? He said to me, he said, Harvey says there wasn't any adjustment because we had all NFL players at USC. So when I went there, it was just like playing with the same guys. So that's a type of program and pride that there was at USC at one time. And I think that's what everybody remembers and wants back. Yeah. And it's attainable, but you can't, you can't have poor leadership for so long and expect uh, things to get a lot better. Um, We got one last uh, one for you, coach. Uh, This is from Beck and Lamert park. It was a text message. It says, I think it'd be so cool if our whole team somehow wears Kobe Bryant's number eight or 24, honoring him at Texas to play Alabama. So at the, uh, at Jerry world, uh, that's uh, you know, early September. What are your thoughts? Uh, talk to the powers of B Ryan and make it happen. LOL. That's from Beck. Um, don't know if by then I'm not sure. I know like there's been a lot of tributes now. Um, I, that's hard. They, you know, they, they might have something like a sticker helmet or something like that. Um, 
but I'm not sure. I haven't heard of any other kind of plans, but that's going to be a long time from now uh, as far as, you know, I, I think there's going to be tributes throughout the NBA season. And, you know, everywhere the Lakers go, there's going to be some kind of tribute, but I'm not sure if they would do something in the opening game. I, I don't know. What do you think, Coach? I really don't know. Uh, uh, Kobe's certainly deserving of everything that's being said about him. Uh, I'd rather put the sticker on the New Mexico game helmet rather than on the Alabama helmet, okay? At home, opening game, something that really means something. Uh, not that Alabama doesn't mean something, but you, whenever you represent Kobe Bryant, you want to be successful. And, uh, and I'm not saying they won't be successful against Alabama, but I'm saying that I just I just don't want anything else to you – know, I don't know how to say it. I shouldn't even got into this. I, I just think it's – like you said, Ryan, that's a long ways away. It is, and uh, I, I like the idea, though, of having something more at home as opposed to uh, on the road. So that, that – that, and, and I don't know. I mean, I'm sure something will be happening – uh, I'm curious to see, you know, the, the NFL could, you know, you saw it at the Super Bowl yesterday, um, but, you know, there wasn't, it wasn't like during the regular season. For college football, there wasn't any chance to uh, have any kind of Kobe Bryant memorials, but I would think if any teams do, it would be USC and UCLA. And maybe it is something, like you said, where they wait to, um, you know, the beginning of next season uh, and, and the first home game, and then maybe they'll do something there. Right. But... Cool. All right, coach. Well, Hey, good stuff. Um, interesting to see what happens going forward with the USC assistant coaches and all that. Um, you know, we thought that could be done. We felt there was going to be a little bit more of a shakeup and there certainly was, uh, over the weekend. So we don't have, we still waiting for one official announcement for a coach to be hired. And then there'll be three more uh, that need to come into the mix. So we'll, uh, we'll keep an eye out for all that, but coach, thanks again for coming on. Buddy, thank you very much, and uh, I'm really interested to see what we talked about here today, how much uh, is what we uh, say or predict will happen, and that way we can go back and actually uh, say, yep, we told you that, or we didn't tell you that, or I didn't think that would happen, or whatever, because I think there'll be probably other changes, too. Oh, interesting. Uh, Catholic department. So uh, we'll go from there, Okay. Yeah, I think there could still be more athletic department changes. That'll be curious. Uh, Staff-wise, I think once they fill this out, I think that'll probably be done. I don't, I don't see them making more offensive moves, but who knows? I mean, they've made plenty of changes already. They could make more. So, uh, all right. Well, that's good stuff. Thanks for the coach for coming on. And thanks to all of you for listening. I won't call it our little show, but for our show here on the Peristyle Podcast, we appreciate you all tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 